What a great way to wake up. With a cup of logic, reason, and common sense. Welcome to the Independence Morning View. Let's get to it. Good morning to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined this morning by Bruce Adams. Good morning, Bruce. How are you this morning? Good morning. Yeah, you know, healthy, alive, doing well. Still here. That is fantastic. This morning, we got some bad news out of Chicago. And well, I, I really mean that. Like, we got some bad news out of Chicago. And we've talked about the uh, the increasing violence in Chicago and all that stuff. So we're, we're going to jump right into this. 49 shot in Chicago over the weekend. 49. Seven of those were fatal. So seven fatalities. And a five-year-old girl was stabbed to death Saturday morning in Chicago. Wasn't the stabbing, I, I, uh, wasn't that the mom of the, the kid? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Her mother, a 27-year-old uh, woman, was charged with the death of, uh, in her death with first-degree murder. You talk about a city that's out of control. This is it. This is. I mean, this is it. I mean, obviously, we got a lot of cities out of control right now. But this is not pandemic-related. At least I don't think so. Not on the face of it. Gun violence in Chicago has been a problem for years now. 49 people shot, seven of these fatally. And so, where, where's the uh, where's the outcry to have this cracked down upon? Where, where's the outcry to have this? Uh, push back on. Where's the mayor, Lori Lightfoot? I think she's still the mayor, right? Where is she yeah. out there denouncing the gun violence in the streets? What you're going to put more police out there? Well, clearly that's not working. Clearly that's not working. Mm. Now so, she'll she'll tell you she'll tell you that you're full of crap. Yes, that yes, this of isn't course. Really going on? Of course, because that's that's exactly what she tells the you know the aldermen of the city, right? Yep, you're full of it. So uh, police have launched investigations into into all this. But the weekend's gun violence city be, in the city began Friday night when a 19 year old man reportedly was shot in the back and the chest while walking in an alley. He was later pronounced dead at a local hospital. The next morning, a 17 year old reportedly was standing in an alley in a different part of the city and was approached by two men. He was shot in the upper torso around 11:10 a.m. and pronounced dead at the scene. In other shootings t- uh, targeting teenagers, a 17 year old male was critically wounded in a drive-by attack in Inglewood Saturday morning, while a 15-year-old male was struck in the leg after being approached by a vehicle later that day on the South Shore. On Sunday night, a 20-year-old was reported to have died after being dropped off at a hospital in Inglewood with a gunshot wound to his head. Oh my God. A 42-year-old man also died after being shot in the back at a gathering early Saturday in the South Shore, according to Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, for, for God's sake, is, is there not any public outcry? Is this, is this just a norm out there now? Is there no public outcry out there? None? I mean, occasionally, occasionally we see some, I guess, uh, videos that are put out by uh, religious organizations out there that denounce it. But, I mean, their voices don't seem to carry too much weight in the city uh, uh, the city offices and the city administration, I don't think. They're, they're not paid too much attention to. I mean, you would think, obviously, you you need the religious leaders of the community to uh, to kind of speak on your behalf, uh, if you're an elected official in major cities, you need the um, uh, at least this is how it used to be. You need the uh, the religious vote, if you will. So where's the uh, where's the pushback from the from the religious associations? Where where's that? Where's the outcry that's being escalated up to city hall? I mean, surely we can't let gun violence like this continue. But then again, what do you do? Do do you do you admit that your policies in the city are failing? Now, I have no doubt that the city of Chicago, the Chicago PD, I, I have no doubt that they're doing as best a job they can with what they have to work with. But 
the bureaucrats in the upper offices and like the mayor's office, for example, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? What programs, what speeches are they given to try and, and address this issue? Anything? Nothing? I just find it ridiculous that, that these are the kind of numbers we're looking at. And it's it's been worse in some weekends. I think, what was it, Father's Day? We were looking at like 150 or something like that. Just over Father's Day in Chicago. It's crazy. New York, the numbers there in, in gun violence are, are up 200 and something percent from last year because of all this. The entire year last year in New York versus... Up to this point, I think it was the end of August is the data we were seeing in New York. So the year hadn't even been over. It hadn't even finished yet. You know, I find it really interesting. They're, they're talking about all these um, all these deaths from, uh, you know, police violence and members of uh, uh, of minority communities and things like that. Where's the reporting on this? Where, where's the where's the crime? Where's I mean, a lot of this you might be able to attribute to uh, to gang violence. I get it. But these are still Americans killing Americans, aren't they? It isn't, I mean, don't these lives matter? Where, where's the BLM protest on any of this? I don't see them. I don't see them. Do you? Or, I mean, maybe they're there and I'm not paying attention to it. But all we hear are one or two names. That's it. What about all of these people that were shot in Chicago and, and the seven that were shot uh, in Chicago through uh, you know, gang violence or, or just random acts? Where's where's the call for that to end? Well, it's 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 in the house, if you will. Right. It's black on black crime. So they, they don't care about that. But they're black that's lives. That's not, not. Yeah. But they're more against the, the white people against black lives. I mean, clearly, I but mean, it's, it, it kind of you fits notice with it's their a bunch of weird right? white people. That, yeah. It's a bunch of weird white people that are out there saying that, though, usually most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it fits the narrative, though. They want their own tribes, their own communities. Literally, the tri- tribes was the word uh, BLM was using on their website before they changed it. Was it so, I mean, it fits the narrative. Were they actually saying yeah. that? Yeah, it, it actually oh one of the one of the things was tribes. And it was it was for raising uh, that one was specifically for raising kids in you know, their own tribes or communities. Still, I mean, out of all this, out of all this, there do you know how many people were charged? One, only one. And it was the woman that stabbed her own daughter. So yeah, yeah anyway, that was just, a pretty. That's a pretty horrific story too. Yeah, just just absolutely terrible. So what's this causing? I, and I, I I talk about all those uh, the shootings over the weekend in Chicago for for a very good reason. What's all this causing? Chicago postal workers are threatening to stop delivering the mail after multiple employees are shot on the job. This is going to put a little bit of a hindrance on the mail-in voting, isn't it? This is going to kind of throw a little bit of a wrench in the works. Now, is this Trump's fault? Is this Trump's fault that uh, you're, you're nodding yeah. your head? Yes. Yeah. Is this Trump's yeah, fault? It's, it's, it's totally. No, it was just, yeah, it's oh. totally, it's totally Trump's fault. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah, just just so we're clear, it is Trump's fault. So U.S. postal workers who deliver the mail in some of Chicago's more violent neighborhoods are threatening to halt their services after a mail carrier was shot in the city's south side earlier this month, which I just named at least four of those fatal shootings were in the south side, I believe. Let me see. A carrier, a 24-year-old woman, was left critically injured after being shot multiple times at 91st Street and Ellis Avenue while delivering mail on September 10th. The police said this is even worse. The police said the worker did not appear to be the target and had been caught in the crossfire during a drive by. They reported that she was the second mail carrier wounded by gunfire on that route. Another mail carrier also caught in the middle of gunfire was shot in March while on the job, but survived. A day after a second worker was shot, another USPS employee was hit with a paintball in Chicago's South Side. Something tells me that the South Side is probably not a good place to go. Right. So something tells me that's yeah, not a place I mean, to work. At, at least the paintball situation, at least that one was it was not I mean, it'll hurt, but it's not it's not fatal. Uh, Chicago I Postal mean, Workers Rally. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that it, it might be lethal if you get shot in the exact right place, uh, but you would have to have other conditions for that to really be a problem when it comes to a paintball. Those are those are more or less non-lethal. Chicago postal workers rallied on Friday to demand that city officials address the threat to mail carrier safety. What do you want them to do? Other than the fact that you lift the gun restriction on mail carriers and you let them carry so they can return fire. I, I mean, I don't know what else you can do. I really don't know what else you can do for them to protect themselves. I mean, what, do you want to give them bulletproof vehicles? I mean, I'm sure they'd be okay with that. But the federal government's not <laughs> going to have to pay for new ones, period. Yeah, new ones, period. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think those are the same ones from, uh, what, the, the late 80s, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I remember the uh, I remember the mail, uh, the mail trucks. I mean, the, these are relatively, uh, at the time, they're relatively new ones. But I remember as a, as a kid, they uh, they still had like the old Willis Jeeps they were driving around. Yeah, because they were left over from... Uh, from the wars that we were fighting overseas, like Vietnam and all that stuff, Korea. So they just brought them back and they turned the government brought them back and turned them into mail trucks so they wouldn't go to waste. <laughs> the president of the Chicago chapter of the National Association of Letter Carriers advised workers to stop delivering in the areas where they feel unsafe. Any letter carrier who does not feel safe in any one of these communities, then they are not to deliver mail and customers have to pick up their mail. We're not going to have another situation where the letter carrier is shot down. Okay. I mean, that's that's fair enough. You know, you're trying to protect your people. I, I get it. I get it. A uh, 24-year-old was shot on the job earlier this month, remains hospitalized. Chicago Division of the U.S. Postal Service Inspection is offering a $50,000 reward for the information leading to the arrest and conviction of a shooting suspect. Bruce, you brought up an interesting point to me earlier, and it was uh, anonymous tip lines. Would this apply? Now, I, and I argued the point of anonymous tip lines. Would this apply to uh, an, an anonymous tip line, in your opinion? My opinion on the tip line uh, situation, specifically, it was involving... Um uh, a ruling for Amy Coney Barrett uh, in, in something else. And basically, in a nutshell, what happened was someone seeing um, a, another person with a firearm get into a vehicle and drive off. There was no other information than that. Then they just possessed a firearm and were in a vehicle. There was no, they weren't doing anything illegal. Um, so in other words, there was no uh, there was no warrant issued. There was no nothing. Law enforcement just found the vehicle, pulled him over, detained him, searched him, found the weapon. So in that scenario, I'm I'm not okay with anonymous tips. I'm at, like, you, you don't have enough to detain someone just because they're carrying a firearm. Second Amendment rights that you can carry a firearm. If they were doing something illegal, then yeah, uh, I, I could warrant it. So in this case, there was an illegal action that happened. And if someone had information on it, and usually how they do these is if you have information that re results in the arrest of the person, then you get the reward. But nonetheless, uh, in th this situation, I'm fine with the the, the anonymous tip lines. I I'm good with that. It's just when you give an anonymous tip for someone doing nothing illegal, and then law enforcement overstep their bounds and detain someone for no illegal actions. You know, I'm a fan of the tip lines. You know, I, I like them because they can be they can be helpful. And, and the reason I was making the justification for them earlier is because of areas that you run into, like most notably this one here. If you're a police officer or a private investigator and you're investigating a crime and you go into, you know, certain communities, certain parts of, um, you know, project housing, places like that uh, in the city where it's a tight knit community and everybody knows everybody else's business. And a lot of times you don't have, shall we say, the endorsement of the community at large to uh, voice your opinion on what you saw. Uh, because as the adage goes in certain parts of those communities, snitches get stitches. So if you speak up on a crime 
then they're going to come after you. They're going to come after your family. So this is my argument about anonymous tip lines. Um, if you're an investigator, any investigators worth their weight in salt will follow every lead to solve that crime. Uh, and that includes all anonymous tips, whether they're bogus or whether they're legit. I'm for anonymous tip lines in that regard. However, as far as what you're talking about is, is uh, when it comes down to as far as I'm concerned, that's a Fourth Amendment issue that you can argue. You know, it's an illegal search and seizure uh, at that point. So, yeah, I see your point on that. But, I mean, I think we had talked about how it turns into a litigation nightmare. It is. Because, you know, cops will yeah. argue probable cause and and they'll stop you for whatever reason they say, uh, regardless if it's a legit one or not. I mean, they can pull anybody over for anything right now as it is. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's just the way that it is. They can say, oh, um, it, it looked like your uh, your license plate light there was flickering. Well, how do you know? You know, how, how do you know? There's no way for you to tell. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to argue? You get, How are you going to prove that? Right. So it's going to be your word against the cops in in the court. Or I love this one. Uh, uh, the suspect was uh, was seen matching your description driving your vehicle. That's that's in connection with something else that's not related. So just by precaution, we have to stop you. Right. That kind. I, I love those arguments. Or they'll be waiting right there at the edge of a speed track. Well, that's no reason to stop you. I mean, you were just slowing down, right? So, uh, and then, of course, one thing leads to the next, and they say, oh, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, you've been drinking tonight? No. Well, maybe you need to step out of the car just to make sure. So it's probable cause. So they, they just argue those points because, I mean, you know, what, what are you going to do? So, uh, but then again, you know, there's there's times where that doesn't go well uh, for the officer or for the uh, or for the individual that's involved. So, I mean, it, it just depends. You have to take it for what you can get it. But I think overall, t- we're talking about tip lines. I think overall, I think anonymous tip lines. I, I mean, I, I got to say somebody who's taken uh, leads from them before. I'm in favor of them. I'm in favor of them because it's 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 helped me in a lot of, you know, a lot of cases where I otherwise would have had nothing. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not against tip lines in general. I'm just against the abuse that that is there right that that's what i i don't want constitutional rights being infringed upon um and this whole probable cause argument as well it's not really constitutional i mean you you have to have a warrant if you really want to search something the the probable cause nonsense is really just kind of a precedent we allowed them to have more or less it's um that one's too too uh too open if you will too easily abused as you just said and that really those abuses of power really get that really gets me um stirred up and annoyed it uh yeah well speaking of uh speaking of the mail system right we have a little bit of a problem with um well, it's not really the mail, but I mean, we were talking about mail-in voting there because it could be a possible hindrance. But uh, we, we've got a little bit of a problem with uh, with a sitting member of Congress when it comes to ballot harvesting, don't we? Project Veritas. I was talking about Project Veritas just the other day, and they do some fantastic work. As a matter of fact, I think it was yesterday. They do some great work. The left has been kind of worried. The American left, they've been kind of worried about what Project Veritas is up to because they haven't heard anything out of them for quite some time. And usually that means that they're working on something good when they're awful quiet for a while. And, uh, you know, as the election approaches, of course, we're a couple of days away from October and everybody knows the term October surprise. So everybody was expecting O'Keefe to come up with something over at Veritas. Well, it isn't quite presidential level, but it is congressional level and it involves Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And it involves something called ballot harvesting. Bruce, can you explain what ballot harvesting is? So it varies by location, by district, by what's legally allowed in those locations. Uh, but basically, if they allow ballot harvesting, they can literally either go to your door and say, hey, you want me to deliver that ballot for you? I can take it to the polling booth or, you know, or wherever, wherever you want to turn them in, the mailbox or whatever. Um, or... 
they can just rifle through mail and grab them out of the mail. And um, huh. And with mail and voting, know, I mean, there's no chance of that ever yeah. happening. No, 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 no. So, it, you know, it really depends on where it's legal at. And in some cases, uh, this happened in Florida. Both. Uh, it was it was a local election. I don't remember if it was like mayor or if it was um, county commissioner or something. But both candidates on both sides of the aisle were ballot harvesting. And what they were doing was they would go around, knock on people's door and say, hey, have you filled out your ballot yet? And, you know, if they said no, they'd be like, oh, I'll help you fill it out and would literally sit there and help them fill it out, either fill it out for them or, um, you know, we're just there. And honestly, there's there's a little bit of that intimidation factor that's there by being present and, you know, the conversation and everything. And then uh, they take your ballot and they can open it up and see who you voted for. If it's not for them, they can toss it out if they wished. Or, you know, they just, oh, you made a mistake here. Well, let me just fill this box in for you here. So, um, that's awful nice. Yeah, there's, there's no problems. Yeah, yeah. It's awful nice. It, it's just that. making sure you vote for the right person, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they, they just want to make sure that your vote counts. I think that's what it comes yeah. down to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, a new video from Project Veritas asserts that a Democratic Congresswoman and member of the squad, Ilhan Omar, is named by the alleged ballot harvesters who boast of how many unfilled absentee ballots they've collected. The harvesters repeatedly discuss how money is king and details of how senior citizens' ballots are confiscated from them in an alleged mass voting scam. So, okay, if this is if this is investigated, okay, if this is investigated, does this mean that she actually didn't win the election. Is is that what? Potentially, she was she was pretty much on the the ropes anyway. As it came as far as getting reelected, it, I mean, there was a there was a pretty narrow margin in her district. Anyway, they say here uh, this is this is the quote from from the video itself. He says numbers don't. This is the ballot harvester, mind you. He says numbers don't lie. Uh, you can see my car's full. All these here are absentee ballots. Can't you see? Look at all these. My car's full. All these are for Jamal Osman. Look, we got 300 today for Jamal Osman only, said uh, Liban Mohammed in a series of Snapchat videos posted July 1st to July 2nd on his own Snapchat profile. So according to Veritas, uh, he said this, this guy said he was collecting the ballots to help his brother win the city's August 11th special election for a vacant Ward 6 city council seat, which was held the same day as the primary for Omar's Minnesota number no. five congressional seat. Ward 6 is in the heart of the city's Somali community and Omar's political base. James O'Keefe, who is, again, the founder and CEO of Project Veritas, said ballot harvesting is real and it's become big business. Our investigation into this ballot harvesting ring demonstrates clearly how these unscrupulous operators exploit the elderly and immigrant communities and have turned the sacred ballot box into a commodities trading desk. He's absolutely right. That's what they've done. He says, we are showing Americans what is really going on in one of our great cities, but it is not me saying we have the operatives on tape saying it all themselves. This is what they do, right? This is what Veritas does. They do great work over there. They catch these people in the act and put it out. The mainstream media should be all over this. They should be all over this. I mean, if they are so adamant about oh, fair elections and, and legitimate elections and, and, and we need to pay attention to what the, the election ballots are going to show, well, here's your ballots at work right here. Here's your ballots at work. No, this doesn't happen. See, there, there is no voter fraud. I don't know what you're talking about. The, I mean, the mainstream media has made it clear. There's no voter fraud. Your ballots are perfectly safe. This, this, is, this, is, this doesn't happen. We see anecdotal evidence of 
you know, seven or eight ballots here, or there being lost. You know, it's not, nah, it's nothing. Mohammed continues uh, to go on here. He says, money's everything. Money's king in this world. If you ain't got no money, you shouldn't be here, period. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I love how they say that. You know what I'm saying? Money is everything and a campaign is managed by money. You cannot campaign with $200 or $100 you got from your grandmother or your grandfather. It's a shame you can't do that. Uh, you cannot campaign with that. You got to have an investment to campaign. You got to have fundraisers. And we know where a lot of these um, specific congressmen and DAs, we know where they get their money. You're trying to tell me a son of an admitted domestic terrorist and a cop killer in San Francisco, a DA out there by the name of Bowden or Bowden, Bowden, whatever his name is. You're trying to tell me that this guy comes up out of nowhere and he's got millions of dollars behind him all of a sudden and he just wins an election out of nowhere. Now, come on. Come on. You're trying to tell me that he raised that from the grassroots in San Francisco? Are you kidding me? You know where this money's coming from. Come on, man. You know where this money's coming from. This is Soros money. All of it. See, Soros tried to buy federal prosecutors and federal judges, and he he figured out he couldn't do it. So what did he do? I mean, this is what they were doing. They were packing the Ninth Circuit Court, right? That's what they would do. They would get presidents in there, and then they would would get uh, the Ninth Circuit Court just filled with judges, right? Take Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton fired every single Ninth Circuit judge the same day, the same day. And replace them all with uh, with uh, left leaning judges, every single one of them. Okay, so if you had a president in place that would do that, fair enough, right? That was easy enough for him to do. But then he realized he couldn't do that, and he started going after federal prosecutors. Couldn't get those either. So what did he do? He started going after local DAs, Congress people, and local city council seats, city supervisor seats. Easy enough to do, right? City or excuse me, state attorney generals, right? Keith Ellison, for example, in Minnesota. You know, those types. So, I mean, that, that's what he does now. So, I mean, think about it. Think about it. If you have an out of control mob in the streets and you decide that, I don't know, we have a city prosecutor here that's or you know, DA here in the city. And well, they've just decided that rioting is not a crime. Um, you know, assault is not a crime. Menacing police officer, that's not a crime. Burning down a, a business and, and smashing somebody over the head with a brick, that's not a crime. Well, law and order doesn't really seem to apply there, does it? I mean, this is this is the purpose of buying off the local judiciary. You know, constitutionally, they can't actually throw out civil cases that are over twenty five dollars. If the civil if a civil case, according to the Constitution, if it's over twenty five dollars in losses or, or what have you, you can't throw it out. It, it has to see a jury. Rounding off here with this uh, this Veritas case, uh, central to the, uh, Project Veritas investigation was uh, Omar Jamal, a political insider uh, active in the city's Somali community. And again, this is uh, up in um, uh, Ilan Omar's district. Jamal works with the Ramsey County Sheriff's Department and is the chairman of the Somali Watchdog Group. He says, I've been involved in the community for the last 20 years. Omar Jamal is the latest brave Project Veritas insider to come forward and he exposed the voter fraud in Minnesota that will shock you. When we spoke with Omar Jamal, he actually repeated part of our Project Veritas insider motto, be brave and do something. And that's what I said. He'll, you know, he'll these people that are on the inside of things that see things that they don't like, they'll actually go to them uh, and they will um, they'll get wired up and they'll, they'll get proof on these people. But he said he was motivated to reach out to Project Veritas because he wants to eliminate corruption that weakens his community, such as ballot harvesting practiced by Minnesota's Democratic Farmer Labor Party interesting party, in which Congresswoman Omar, Ilhan Omar, has emerged as a rising power broker. It's an open secret, he said. Ilhan Omar, this is a quote from uh, Jamal himself, uh, Omar Jamal himself. He says, it's an open secret. She will do anything that she can do to get elected. And she has hundreds of people on the streets doing just that. I'm afraid it's, hmm, this is interesting. He says, I'm afraid it's already too big to stop. 
you know, maybe it's too late. Maybe it's already too big to stop. He says there's a lot of people invested in this. You know, they don't care why they do it. Uh, we win and that's it. I mean, that's that's what they do. That's what big elections are all about. It's all about bankrolling it, money. They don't care where the money comes from. The, all they do is is go out there. They pander to whoever they need to pander to. They count the votes and they move on. They don't care about anything else. So it's a it's a big operation. But again, I mean, if you start digging into this, you start looking into this. And I mean, th- this goes on and on and on. So we don't have time to cover all of it now. But ballot harvesting is actually going on. And I'm sorry, if you start digging into it, if DOJ, why, why would the DOJ not be looking into that? I would. I would. Honestly, I, I don't know if anything's going to happen of this because uh, uh, Ilan Omar is already guilty of uh, fraud when it comes to taxes, when it comes to um, college. Um, there was um, immigrant fraud. There, there was a bunch of different kinds of fraud. There was um, she, she supposedly married her brother to commit some of the fraud. So and and also that supposedly helped to get him here uh, into the United States. So uh, nothing's happened of that. And those are felonies. Uh, in this case, I don't know if anything's going to happen of this. Um, it's just going to get swept under the rug. Unfortunately, I think I might have to agree with you. But uh, we are going to have to jump out of here because we are out of time this morning. So thank you for sitting down this morning, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. For all these topics and more, please check us out later on this afternoon. And I hope everyone has a great morning.